And uh, the dark side, the selfish side, the unworthy side. And the effect is it diminishes ourselves and is destructive of others. So today I'm going to talk about the shadow side. My husband's impressed that I've started with that picture. Can I have my bag down there? I, um, I wanted to talk about shadow sides because shadow sides can sometimes be very small. So I thought I would share a couple of my shadow sides. There it is. Turkish delight right there. That is a part of my shadow side often in the car on the way home from the supermarket. There it is right there. Who likes Turkish delight? Who, who's with me on Turkish delight? There you go, Tom. A man after my own heart right there. Uh, another shadow side. Who's here? Red Rock Deli, pretty much anything Red Rock Deli. That's pretty good. That's, uh, that's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe 4.30. What, something? I'm going to keep them because I've got, I've got people coming over. I might need to share them later. Does anybody else like them? Anybody else like the Red Rock Deli? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anybody? Matt? Matt after my own heart. Oh, you didn't really think I was going to share an actual shadow side, did you? I'm not that silly. Shadow sides are complex. They can be small, like, you know, craving for chocolate and giving in and all that kind of stuff, but they can also be quite big. I remember um, years ago reading a book called uh, Who Are You When No One's Looking? Anybody read that? It's a, good, it's a good question to ask. Who are you when no one's looking? But shadow sides can also be really huge. They can be all-encompassing. Uh, they can be dark places that we fall into, um, pits that we struggle to come out of. Uh, And I want to talk to you today about a young man uh, who really wrestled with the shadow side. Let me take you back. It was in a kingdom far, far away. Oh, that's terrible. A few people got that. I want to talk to you about uh, a king. But we begin a little bit further back than my king. How do we turn that off? Did I turn that off? That one. That one? One of them. I've done something wrong. Can you turn that off for me? Um, so let's go back. It's, the, uh, it's the, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, and they have a prophet, and his name is Samuel, and the people call out, we want a king, we want to be like all of the other nations, we want our very own king. And so Samuel says to God, I just want to turn it off if I can, just, oh, can't. So they say, we want a king. And Samuel says to God, they want a king, but you're the king. And God says, give them what they want. And so they choose a king. They choose their own king. They choose Saul, tall, dark, handsome. This guy's got everything. He's going to be a fantastic king. He's the one that they choose. They choose Saul. But Saul had a shadow side. His shadow side was that he loved what the people thought more than he loved what God thought. He cared more about what the people thought than he cared about what God thought. And Saul rose fast and fell fast, and it didn't go well. And so then God said, Samuel, come here. They had their choice, didn't work so well. Now I am going to choose for myself a king. And so he said to Samuel, I want you to go to a place called Bethlehem, 
This is the, an earlier Bethlehem than the later Bethlehem. Same Bethlehem, same town. I want you to go to a place called Bethlehem and find a bloke called Jesse because Jesse's got a son and one of those sons, he's my man. And so Jesse lines up all his sons. Here they all are. And Samuel goes along and he looks at the first one and goes, well, I can see exactly why God sent me here. These are, this is a fine strapping lad. And God says this. Click. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel said, don't look at that guy. And so Samuel looked at the second guy, and then Samuel looked at the third guy, and Samuel looked at the fourth guy, and the fifth guy, and the sixth guy, and said, God isn't choosing any of these. So he goes back to Jesse, and he says, are you sure this is all your sons? And Jesse goes, well, there's the little guy. The little guy, I forgot about him. He's out in the field looking after the sheep. And Samuel says, well, you better bring him in. And they stood around and they waited. And eventually they bring in the little guy, David. And as David's coming in, God says to Samuel, that's him. He's the one. That's the man after my own heart. There he is, right there. And so Saul, Samuel, Samuel takes his horn of oil and he pours it out on the young boy called David and anoints him to be king. I wonder what David made of all of this. A man after God's own heart. I wonder if uh, perhaps what he did was he went out and hired himself a gold chariot, told everybody that he was going to be the king, asked all of his other six brothers to peel grapes for him and to bow down to him. Actually, no, he didn't. Even as a boy, he was a man after God's own heart and he went back out into the field and he tended the sheep. But I wonder if, if somewhere out in the field, he's like, oh, I've still got oil by my ears, and he can still sort of smell it in his garments, and he says, God, what is that about? That, that Samuel anointing me thing, what's that about? I just, I just want to be your person. And God said, that's it. You keep chasing after me, and I'll bring it all to pass. So... <clears throat> His days go on, and one day his father calls him in. Young David, your brothers are out on the battlefield. They're fighting for, for the, uh, the Israelite army, and I want you to go out and take this food and bring your old man a report. I need to know if they're okay, so take some food to them, give them some supplies, and bring me back a report. I worry about them, sorry. So David goes out and takes the food, and he finds them on the far left flank of the great ravine, the mighty army all standing there. And typical boy, he doesn't just kind of give them the food and scurry on home. He's like elbowing his way forward and he's checking it out and he wants to be in there in the thick of it. And, uh, and he's standing there side by side with his brothers and over on the other side of the ravine is the biggest bloke you've ever seen and he's up there and he's yelling out, you Israelite worms, come on, send out your best bloke. Find your best guy, send him out. Challenge me, and if he beats me, all us Philistines will give in. We'll, we'll give in, and you'll have won the day. So come on, come on, you cheeky worms. Send out your best bloke, because uh, no one can win against me. No one can defeat me, because I'm the toughest. And there's little David standing there, looks up at his brothers, and says, Who does this guy think he is? Who does this guy think he is? He's not God. God's God and he is not. God is God and he is not. 
And so the story goes that word gets round all the way up to King Saul, who says, who's this young punk that reckons that this Philistine Goliath can be beaten? So they bring David before him, and David said, yeah, who does he think he is challenging God's mighty army? He can't challenge God. God's God. He's not. Send me in. And so they do. He goes in without the army of a fighter. He goes in without the armour, without the sword, and without even the maturity of adulthood. And he picks up five stones, a slingshot, and the mighty faith of his God. A mighty faith in his God. And he goes in and he flings a stone and the big guy falls and David wins the victory on God's behalf. It's an amazing story. You should go home and read it. It's fantastic. He takes him out with a stone and his great faith in God. His heart is oriented towards God alone. His heart is oriented towards God alone. From there on, the people would sing great songs about him. They would sing this song, which drove Saul mad. Saul kills them in their thousands, but David kills them in their tens of thousands. Well, that did not make Saul happy. And so Saul kept an eye on young David from then on. Didn't like it, didn't like it one bit. It inflamed Saul's shadow side. Uh, So then there began this cat and mouse game of David running from Saul and hiding, but also David having God's favour every turn. There was a time when, and uh, this is a great story, if the young guys are listening, this is a classic story. So David um, and his, his men with their swords and all that kind of stuff, um, are hiding in a particular cave because they've heard that Saul is in the area and Saul is out to kill David, right? And so they're hiding in this cave and King Saul needs the bathroom. So King Saul comes into a cave to use the bathroom and David and his men are in there in the dark and David's men are like, David, it's King Saul. Now's your chance. Take him down. And David's like, Yep. And his men are like, come on, he's been put right into your hands. This is your chance. Kill him. He's trying to kill you. Kill him. And David stops and he waits and he thinks, hang on. I reckon he consults God. And he says, no, wait. This is God's king. It's about God's timing. And if I kill him, it's taking things into my own hands. And I'm not going to do that because I want to chase after what God chases after. So he says, no, we're not going to kill him. Cuts off a bit of his robe and lets him go free. In fact, he lets Saul go free twice. What a guy. This is what it means to be a man after God's own heart. To find out what God's heart values and value that. To seek what God's heart seeks and to seek after that. To care about the things God cares about and to align your heart with God's even when everybody around him was nudging him and elbowing him, telling him to act differently. He said, no, I'm going to act in accordance with the way I know God wants me to act. And that was big. Eventually, Saul dies. And David takes a moment. He stops and he pauses and he asks God, what do you want me to do? He doesn't just get up, run down and go, yeah, I'm the king now. He stops and he asks God, is it your timing? 
is this what you want? And God says, yes. And he goes down into Judah and they make him the king. And he goes from strength to strength because he's the man. He's God's man. He unites the southern kingdom with the northern kingdom. He moves into Jerusalem. It is all happening for King David because he is God's man. He's the man. After Saul, Saul ruled for 40 years, God removed him from office and put King David in his place with this commendation. Okay, So this is kind of like his, his letter of, on his resume. Okay, This is his commendation. God says, I've searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart beats to mine, a man who will do what I tell him. That's a big commendation. He doesn't say, I found me a great warrior. He doesn't say, I found the smartest king you've ever seen. He doesn't say, I found this awesome guy who's charismatic and fantastic. He says, I found a guy whose heart is in beat with mine. I found a guy who will do what I want, who values what I want. When I look right, he looks right. When I look left, he looks left. When I say I care about that thing, David says I care about that thing too. That's the king he appointed. David's heart chased after God's heart. So David reigned over all of Israel and he administered justice and equity to all his people. He was a man after God's own heart. Except when he wasn't. Because with, uh, no, 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 I've got, to try, I've got to read it. Because with great power comes great responsibility. Now, someone will tell me later, is that Yoda or is it Gandalf? Someone with great power. I can almost hear Yoda saying it with great power. Spider-Man. Oh, oh I'm done. That's it. It's Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. In my head, Yoda says it, right? Or Gandalf says it to Frodo. Either way, they should have all written it into the script because with great power comes great responsibility. And David is at the absolute pinnacle height of his greatness. It is all going well for King David. Enter the shadow side. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army out to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. See that there? In the spring of the year when kings normally go to war, David was a king and he stayed home. That's very important. Write that down, guys. This is the first sign that something is shifting in our hero. In a moment when he is at the height of heights, his shadow side is emerging. And instead of being at war with his men, he was at home. Here we go. A little bit more. Oh, no. I'll keep reading from my notes because it's not on there. The next verse says, One evening... David got up from his bed. Okay, what is wrong with that line? One evening, he got up from... He is tired and bored of being tired and bored because he is not where he's meant to be doing, where, where he's not meant to be and he's not doing what he should have been doing. 
and he goes up to the rooftop and he spies a beautiful woman bathing. And instead of fleeing, he lingers and he stops and he has a look. Something shifted in our hero. He didn't flee, he lingered. The man after God's own heart would have fled from that moment because God would have said to him, look away. And he would have, but he didn't. He lingered. So David sent someone out to find out who she was. She's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, wife of Uriah, the Hittite, out fighting where you should be, David. What, he, what the guy is saying to David is she's Bathsheba, she's married, back off, buddy. This is not right. And David, his response is, yeah, whatever, I'm the man. I'm the man and I'll have what I want. I'll chase what my heart wants. And right now, my heart wants that. Now bring her to me. And so they do. And it goes very pear-shaped for him. They sleep together. She ends up pregnant. And so then... David finds himself in this very awkward situation. He's like, oh, what have I done? She's pregnant. What am I going to do? I know. I'll bring her husband back from battle and uh, send him home and he can fix it all. I think it's his. It's going to be terrific. So he calls for Uriah. Uriah comes in and David says, so, uh, yeah, how's the battle going on? Yeah, whatever. Go, just have a night at home. Go on home. But you see, Uriah knew where he was meant to be. And Uriah didn't go home to his comfy, cushy bed have a good meal, enjoy the company of his family. He didn't. He slept on the, on the doorstep of the house because he knew he was meant to be with his comrades in battle. And so then David's pacing backwards and forth. Oh, that didn't work. What else am I going to go? Oh, I know. I'll get rid of him. I mean, I personally won't get rid of him. I will orchestrate it so that we get rid of him. So he sends him back into battle with the explicit instructions for the generals to send him out into the front line. And sure enough, he's killed. Problem solved, David's fine. Bathsheba mourns for a while and David takes her in as his wife. Seems like it's all fine. Massive cover-up, all sorted out. Um, But David is very troubled and guilt-written, but he thinks he's solved it. That is, until until God calls him out. So there's a beautiful moment where Nathan, so another prophet like Saul from the beginning, Nathan comes in and sits down and he looks at David and says, I'll tell you a story. And so David sits down to listen to the story and this is what Nathan says to him. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he brought. He raised it and grew it with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, it even slept in his arms. Uh, he, He raised it, it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man didn't take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and he prepared it for the one who'd come to him. And Nathan looks up at David 
And David's like burning with anger. And he's saying, that guy so did the wrong thing. That was not his to take. And he took it. And that guy needs to be punished. He deserves to be punished for the terrible things he did. He deserves no pity in his punishment. And Nathan looks him square in the eye and says, that man? David, you are that man. And I reckon David sank. Oh, I so am that man. I'm such a worm. I used to chase after God's own heart. And then I chased after my own. I am such a worm. David had gone from God's man to I'm the man to you are that man. You did everything that you are furious about that man doing. You did that. That is you. And he knew it. We've all got shadow sides. As we go on in life, we can become more aware of them. We can understand and become more attuned to their pitfalls, to our shadow sides' lures, its traps, its temptations, its weaknesses, its patterns, its lies, its falseness. But as we mature, we can actually learn more about ourselves and we can turn away from the shadow parts of ourselves and seek to be more the way God created us to be, to live according to the maker's designs, to value the things that God values, to seek after God's heart. If we asked David for some advice here today, I wonder what he would say to us. Would he say, I should have been at war. I should have been busy doing the things that a king does. I should have been keeping my passions in check. I should have been focused on God's values. I should have turned my head away when God told me to. I should have. I should have. And yet, David would also tell us about the deep forgiveness that he was offered. God didn't leave him in this state of wrong. He sent Nathan to call him out and to ask him to come back to being God's man. David realised he was the worm. He was that man. And then he realised, actually, I'm not the man. God, you are the man. God, you are God and I am not. And God comes in and lifts up his chin and says, yes, I am God. Come and be a man after my own heart. Come and value the things that I value. Come on. Come and turn your face and your heart back to me. And at the slightest hint of repentance... God jumps. He leaps fully in. He leaps right at you. If you say, okay, he leaps. And he offers you absolute, unequivocal, full forgiveness. What if God's more interested in what he wants to do in us than through us? I wonder if you know your shadow side. I wonder if you know when it comes about. If you're meant to be at home doing your homework and you're hanging out at Ringwood Station... That's when your shadow side's going to come up. 
if, uh, if you're meant to drive straight home but you don't, you go via a certain part of town, that's when your shadow side will come up. If you're not where you're meant to be, if you're not doing what you're meant to be doing, if you start chasing after your own things, your shadow side's going to come up and it's going to take you away from being who God wants you to be. So my questions are, will you linger or flee? Because there will be times when it is right up there in our face. Will we linger or will we flee? Will we deny that there is a shadow side or will we confront it head on and deal with it and take action? Ask somebody, help me to know what my shadow sides are and keep me accountable. Will we maintain our shadow side and keep it in secret, hidden and feed it? Or will we shine a light on it and call it out and name it for what it is and ask God to change it? And in those moments when we have actually pursued the shadow side and we realise that we are that man, will we actually stay on a guilt trip or will we allow God to take us on a grace journey? Because that's what God wants us to do. He wants to bring us back and take us on a grace journey. And in the end, our wonderful king, our hero, King David, shadow side and all, was forever known in history as a man after God's own heart. That's what he's known as. And through David, the line of David, we got Jesus. So even in all the shadow side, God actually allowed the saviour of the world to come from the line of David. Everything's redeemable. Nothing is lost. I'm going to get the band to come up. And uh, I just want to encourage you with my last question. What if God is more interested in what he wants to do in us than through us? Because that is his heart's desire to orient our hearts towards his so that we value what he values. When he turns his head right, we turn our head right. When he turns his head left, we turn our heads left. And to recognise that even when we've gotten it deeply wrong, God offers us grace, total grace, total forgiveness. He lifts our chin and says, come on, come back and be a man after my own heart and be my man or woman, whatever it is that you need to do.